Welcome back to Locked On Red Sox on the Locked On Podcast Network, where it is your team every day. I'm your host, Gabrielle, also known as Girl at the Game. And like I promised last week, my favorite guest is back, Ty Kelly. It's our first Ty Tuesday. Hi, Ty. Hey, thanks for having me back. You're very welcome. Thanks for coming back. I'm so happy. This is such a treat, especially because I am under the weather and I get to talk to you, which brightens my day. Absolutely. Let's do it. Hopefully we we discuss some good things and you end up feeling much better about everything, even the uh, the possible postseason format change. Maybe we can um, brighten your day, you know, talking about that a little bit. Okay, well, I guess we'll start with that. But I just have to say the way that baseball <laughs> is going this week, baseball is not going to be the thing that makes me feel better. I think baseball actually might be making me sick. But yeah, let's just start with the postseason format, this weird NBA, NFL, MLB hybrid baby proposed postseason change is really weird. Listening at home, if you don't actually know what this proposed format is, I will give you a quick recap. Basically, MLB would like to lengthen the postseason by changing the format from five to seven teams per league appearing in the postseason, meaning roughly half of MLB would be in the postseason. That's way too much of MLB. The wild card game would go away. The first round would become best two of three. The top seed in each league, like what are we, the NBA, gets a bye. So we're the NFL. And the teams with the best records would pick their opponents. Unfortunately, for teams with the best record, you still would not, under this circumstance, be able to play the Orioles in the postseason. They still would not be an option. Ty, what do you think about this? Well, it seems kind of insane. They're, the regular season in the MLB is already 162 games. Like, if there's, if there's a reason to play 162 games, it's to find out over those six months who the best teams are and let those best teams over the, the course of this like insanely long season get to fight it out and see who is the best by the end. That seems like a pretty good format already. Just adding, like continuing to add more teams just lessens the value um, of, you know, both the regular season and of being a playoff team. So it seems pretty crazy. And I know that it's been met with uh, a lot of, hate really just from looking at the reactions on Twitter from players and things like that and also like this is sort of just a thing that they want to do so that teams don't start tanking halfway through the year so like what does that say about the organizations that are in your league already that the only way to get teams to try and compete throughout the season and to try and like pay their players throughout the you know to get free agents at the beginning of the season is to just say that like everyone's going to have a shot at the end of the year, um, like no matter how you did during the season. So it seems sort of crazy and I think is really telling how much control or how much lack of control they have um, over organizations and, you know, and paying free agents the way that's going right now. Yeah, I I think in general, it's like a huge mess. And I also think it's definitely a kind of they're dangling kind of like a distraction or a diversion because so much crap has happened this offseason in terms of like the Astros and Red Sox cheating scandals that they're kind of like, oh, you know, we don't want to remind you that we don't want to investigate this fully at all. Let's talk about changing the postseason instead. It seems like this is more of a diversional tactic than anything because the amount of effort that it would go into 
actually changing this seems like more trouble than it's worth. <laughs> and a lot of people seem to feel the same way because they're like, really? So you'll spend all this time and effort to change this, but you won't investigate the Astros players who people on Twitter have been investigating on their own. Like, it just seems like in general, MLB doesn't really want to actually do its job. Yeah, I think they I think they just want this offseason to be over. Like I think oh, they're like, yeah, let's just clearly. get to the regular season and just like any way we can get there as quickly as possible. Let's just try and like put this past us, which I completely understand. It's been just the most ridiculous um terrible. The most yeah, the most ridiculous like off season ever. Um so much bad stuff going on. Um I guess at least people are talking about baseball. So that's something, but yeah, just you know, not in hopefully, a way. <laughs> yeah, not at all. But I guess they say like um, no, like no pet press is bad press, or what's that? What's that Hollywood saying? Like, there's no such thing as bad press. I guess, I guess, yeah. Like, well, these people are talking about us. It's like, yeah, because they're talking about how terrible you are. Like, I, I don't think I've ever seen before MLB players this outspoken about being so angry like you have a pit a former pitcher suing the houston astros you have trevor bauer calling rob manfred a joke on twitter like literally he was like i'll direct this yeah. to you rob manfred your proposal is absurd for too many reasons to type on twitter and proves you have absolutely no clue about baseball you're a joke i don't think i've ever heard an mlb player like in during their career say something like that to the commissioner of baseball, like that's crazy. And then, you know, of course, D.D. Gregorius, who's like a class act, gave his version of that, which was, why are we changing this lovable sport so much with like an emoji? But players are speaking out like they're not happy. And and you're yeah. one of them because you're speaking out. You're speaking out about something else. You want to talk about it? Sure. Yeah. Well, yeah. So the Mets just you know, they just renovated their spring training facility. They put $57 million into it. I think a lot of that came from, um, a lot of that came from the city of Fort St. Lucie and the Mets um, added a little bit to that. But they, so they just completely renovated their spring training facility. And part of that was this very state-of-the-art clubhouse that looks to me from pictures, it looks like it's bigger than probably all of the major league clubhouses at their actual facilities in New York and, and, um, you know, and all the other facilities, but yeah, so it looks just amazing. And it's for the Mets on Twitter, gorgeous. On, yeah, it is absolutely gorgeous. Side note, I am not, so, I am not surprised that the Mets are, did not spend the full $57 million because the Mets spending $57 million on anything just sounds like fake news, but continue. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The, so they, they basically came out and said, this facility is only going to be used for our major leaguers during spring training. And that's it. There is a high A team, the St. Lucie, uh, I think they've been the Mets in the past, um, mm -hmm. that plays at that facility already. And they are not going to be allowed to use the clubhouse during their season because the Mets want the high A players to basically know their place and have uh, that clubhouse as something to look forward to as like an end goal of like what they could possibly become. And uh, yeah, this has obviously also been met with a lot of criticism on Twitter. Like, first of all, just the fact that you're not going to let the guys use the clubhouse, like uh, they're going to mess it up. Okay. Like whatever you, you can, you can hire people to 
clean it up to like keep it, you know, to keep it ready for do spring training early. Do they think they're going to be like Jackson Pollock painting it and, you know, throwing hammers at the walls? Like, I don't understand what they think these players are going to do. It's not like it's not like the minor league team is like the St. Lucie cavemen and they're like demolishing it. <laughs> they're still baseball players. Totally. They, yeah. I mean, like, it's crazy. And uh, like, I, I understand that that is probably what their their rationale is, you know, like, they're like, we don't want it to get messed up. They want it to stay nice. Like, okay, that's something. It still doesn't mean that they shouldn't let the guys use it and like, and give them at least give them a chance to, to, to get to play their season and be in this beautiful clubhouse that already exists, that is on the facilities for where they're going to play their season. Like it, it only makes sense that you let them use it, but then to also come out and say that the reason that they're not allowed to use it is because they need something to look forward to. They basically need to know their place. Like none of these guys are forgetting where they are. They're in high A, they're making $1,500 a month. Like they're making nothing. They're, they're like not making minimum wage. They're there all day, every day. Like it's just, I don't know. It's just crazy to me that they thought that it would be, first of all, a good idea to not let them use the clubhouse, but then to also phrase it like that. It just seems like, I don't know, just very not self-aware. And like, they, they could have done so much better. It just is very frustrating. I know it's like very frustrating for everyone that has ever played minor league baseball or for people that are just aware of the situation. So yeah, it's just super frustrating and unfortunate. Yeah, I mean... Minor leaguers are already basically treated as subhuman by my, by Major League Baseball as it is. And like you mentioned, they make no money. And for people who don't know this at home, minor leaguers don't get paid when they're not playing baseball. And they also don't get paid when they're at spring training. So minor leaguers are making money from the start of the regular season until the end of the regular season, until the end of their season. And that's it. And so, you know, you're not like like commissioner Manfred last year was asked about this in an interview. And he was like, you know, a lot of people don't, most people don't get paid when they're not working, which is the most lack of self-awareness comment he could have made as someone who runs baseball year round when baseball isn't being played. So he's getting paid when there's no baseball, but minor leaguers are not getting paid when there's no baseball. And they're also not getting paid when they're at spring training, playing baseball, literally doing their jobs and they're not even being compensated for that. So, you know, a lot of people online, of course, were reacting. You had a great tweet. You said, tough to forget you're an A-ball when you're rationing two plates of spaghetti for 25 guys after games. But sure, leather couches will go to their head. And PJ Conlin, who is also in the Mets system, right? He's he's a was, Mets player. Yeah, he, he retired also. Yeah, was. But yeah, he, he, he played That's in the what Mets I organization, also played in the big leagues with the Mets. Yeah. Yeah. So he he said, quote, a reminder of the status they're working to, to earn, which is what the reporter had said about the rationale that the Mets gave for not letting minor leaguers use the clubhouse. And he said, as if having six dudes living in a two bedroom apartment isn't enough of a reminder that you're an A-ball. As someone who has a friend in the minor league system with the Red Sox who had that exact same living situation for the last two years, it's just so ridiculous like that you're acting as if these guys don't already know 
what their situation is and also acting like you're doing them a favor by withholding from them so that they can work harder. Like they're already working their asses off to get out of the terrible situation that MLB and minor league baseball by association have put them in. Like to Mm -hmm. be told like, Oh, this is actually for your own good. Like it's not, it's not like your parents being like, you know, we make you eat vegetables at dinner so that you'll grow up big and strong. We know you're miserable, but we're doing it for you. Like this is not for their benefit. This is MLB wanting to treat minor leaguers like they are second class citizen, not even like a third class citizen. It's like the rich people on the top deck of the Titanic and then the people locked in steerage who weren't even allowed to attempt to escape as the ship was sinking. That's minor league baseball. And yeah, it just makes and, me so upset for them. And for you, because yeah, you lived with this. For sure, yeah, I did. The, I mean, like I was describing in the tweet, the, I mean, you get a, a couple plates of pasta, and if you don't get in there right away after a game, after you just played a three, three-and-a-half-hour game, like, you might not be able to eat. Um, if someone takes too much, everyone's going to be yelling at them because, like, everyone's got to eat. And a lot of times it's just, like, spaghetti and some meatballs and – you just like do the best you can to make sure that everyone on the team gets to eat or else you're like going to Applebee's to, to, you know, pay your, your own way for some like appetizers or something like that. Like I, I promise like everyone that's been through the minor leagues has, has gone through those scenarios. Um, and it's really unfortunate. Like you said, the, the minor leaguers get treated like second class citizens. And unfortunately, like in this case, it's very much uh, like us versus them within the organization which really sucks because i guarantee that if you go ask like all of the players in the mets clubhouse and ask them like are you guys okay with the team using this during the season i i promise they're going to say let them use the clubhouse like these guys get paid nothing they deserve something especially when it already exists like they don't even have I mean, to pay any more to, to make this happen like they don't have to make it's any literally not it's not hurting anybody. It's sitting there empty. The players aren't even there. It's not like, you know, they're saying like, oh, you know, it's like bunk beds and you have to share. The players will not be there. So you just spent all this money renovating this clubhouse and you're just going to like lock it up for like the entire season because you don't think minor leaguers are people. It's so disgusting. I mean, I, I really can't believe that that this is like something that they even had the balls to say, but it shows you how much major league baseball just like doesn't give a crap about minor leaguers because they literally just say stuff like this. Not only do they do this, they say it. They're like, Oh yeah. Like what's we're giving them something to work for. You don't pay them. And to your point about like the food, the sickest part about that is that then they're spending the little money that they're making in the minor leagues to feed themselves because the minor leagues aren't paying them. So they're making even less money because they have to feed themselves. They also, I don't know if this is every team, but I know I've been told from other minor leaguer friends of mine that they have to pay for their own like uniform laundering. Yeah. Well, um, you pay dues. So, so you pay dues. Yeah. Every you day pay, whether... You're literally paying to, to be a minor leaguer. Meanwhile, like major leaguers, make millions and then they have their own laundry services and like david price for example when he was with the rays they discovered that he was like allergic to the detergent that they were using to launder his uniforms so they started doing his own laundry separately with different detergent and meanwhile oh, yeah. like minor I leaguers mean... who make a, like 1100 to 1500 dollars a month are supposed to pay for their own laundry 
Yeah, yeah. They're, I mean, you're paying dues, so you're paying, like, um, in AAA, it's the most, it's $15 a day. Um, so, like, you're paying, which includes, like, some food and some, some of, like, the laundry services and stuff like that. So, yeah, I mean, you're, you're paying for all that stuff, and a lot of the time, there's just not enough food for everyone to go around, like you mentioned with PJ's tweet, and your friend in the minors, like, guys are living in crazy like cramped situations to just try in any way they can spend as little money as possible like I when I was in low a I lived in um in an apartment I lived in the living room on an air mattress with no furniture there were no blinds or anything on the curtains I mean uh on the windows so it was just completely bright all the time um because we didn't want to pay for anything like we were just trying to save as much money as we could at every corner and yeah and like a lot of times you're just sort of starving yourself until you get to the field and you try and make like a peanut butter and jelly sandwich if um if they'll let you have access to the bread and peanut butter and stuff like that yeah it's just it can be really tough sometimes and it's unfortunate that they went this route this time and just tried to like take one more thing away from the guys when they already have so little yeah, it really it just makes me so sick. Um, and I mean, and you and I have a friend Matt who literally used to go by the name homeless minor leaguer during his minor league days because he couldn't afford to live anywhere, so he would crash with friends and he would like sleep in his car. And he's not the only one. And obviously, this is a Red Sox podcast, so as much as you and I could talk about this for like an entire week's worth of episodes, the last thing I'm going to say on this subject is. I wonder if it has ever occurred to Major League Baseball that they would yield a greater return on minor leaguers, like in terms of like minor leaguers developing into better players if they actually treated them well, you know, like if they nurtured them and fed them and paid them so that they could afford to live comfortably. Don't you think that a lot more because it's a very high percentage, I think over 80 percent of minor leaguers do not make it to the major leagues. And a lot of them, it's like they just can't hack it because they can't afford the lifestyle of trying to get to the major leagues by playing in the minor leagues. And I just have to wonder how many players with great potential never actually were able to reach the major leagues because the living conditions of the minor leagues were not conducive to them succeeding. Starving and underpaying players and having them be forced to live in bad conditions for years on end you know it's not it's not like when you it's not like that whole like if you squeeze a lump of coal hard enough a diamond pops out you know that doesn't work for a lot of people a lot of people need the nurturing of just being treated like a human being and the minor leagues no don't question. do that yeah no question yeah they need to start um treating their players as investments you know i mean you're you're investing in them either drafting them or signing them as a free agent like, you know, invest in their nutrition and their their health in general, rest and everything. It's like, it's one of the big progressive things that Gabe Kapler was doing with the Dodgers and that have started to spread to other organizations. But obviously, it has not reached every organization yet. Yeah, I mean you think about like all the fancy stuff that major league teams have for their players. And it's like, well, don't you think that if these players had this stuff from the get go, it would be less, you know, less about repairing players who were injured and didn't get proper treatment or helping players with nutrition who spent years eating McDonald's because they couldn't afford anything else. 
you know, like the Red Sox hired a private nutritionist for Pablo Sandoval. And Mm -hmm. that still didn't, that still didn't work. But meanwhile, you have minor league players who are subsisting on a PB and J if they're allowed to have it, or like half of a plate of spaghetti and meatballs. And like, they're not getting their adequate nutrition. And meanwhile, major leaguers are getting paid millions and they can afford this stuff on their own. And then they also have it brought in for them. It's like when, you know, actors and celebrities go to award shows and they get these gift bags with like $5,000 worth of swag in it. An actor doesn't need you giving them an iPad. They probably have four of them at home. You know who probably needs an iPad? A kid in an underprivileged school. Like, so they can learn. We're We're not prioritizing the right people here. Like, major leaguers are fine with what they already have. Minor leaguers are the ones that need help. So let's shift over just because I can't not talk about the fact that the Red Sox have a new manager and you've been around the, you've been around the majors for a long time and the minors, not as long as Ron Renicki because he's like 63 years old, obviously, but you've been around a lot of different styles of managers and coaches. The Red Sox just switched, not really up to them, but they did just switch from a very young manager, one of the youngest in the majors, to a decidedly on the oldest side of the managing spectrum. Like he's not Ron Garden higher, but he's close. Ron Renicki is in his mid 60s. Alex Cora was in his mid 40s. And they're not the only team, even though, you know, we both know they didn't want to fire Cora. But the Angels switched from Brad Osmus to Joe Madden. AJ Hinch was replaced by Dusty Baker. The Red Sox replaced Cora with Ron Renicki. So over the last couple of years, you've had a lot of teams that were firing these exact people. And Renicki was the manager of the, the Brewers and he w- had a winning record. He even had them, they won 96 games in 2011, but then they had a bad start in like 2015 and they fired him. A lot of these teams have just hired older managers who were fired in order for these teams to hire very young managers. And then when those young managers didn't pan out for whatever reason, these teams came crawling back to like the old guard. What do you think about that? Yeah. I, th- I mean, I think the, obviously like the big thing going on in baseball that has been going on is analytics. And so teams started saying like, we're only going with analytics. That's all that matters. We're going to bring in young managers who are aware of the analytics side of baseball and really, that's all that matters because all the decisions are going to be made before the game. They're going to be written out on a piece of paper that that shows exactly who to put in in every situation, how to manage every part of the game. And I think what teams are slowly starting to realize, something that I think the players could see very early on, you know, people within baseball could see, but uh, front offices had to sort of see how it played out for themselves. But basically you can't go like 100% either way. You can't be 100% analytics because then you're going to leave the human side of baseball behind. You're going to forget that guys are individuals, guys handle situations differently. And through the cor- throughout the course of the season, like you can't just treat your entire team as a bunch of robots, basically with numbers on their forehead that tell you when to play them and when not to. So I think that organizations are starting to pull back a little bit and say, like, we need to meet somewhere in the middle here. Like, you can't, you also can't just disregard analytics because, like, it's math and math is going to be correct. Like, as long as you, you know, as long as you factor in the human element, like I was saying, like, then you're going to have the best products. As long as you can manage guys and their personalities throughout the season, 
you know, like how they are in a clubhouse. Like you need to have all of these things together. And the guys with experience, the older managers, they're going to get all of the the human side of the game because basically that's like what everything was managed on before was like your gut, who you're going to put in at this time, whatever. So it's cool to see that that organizations are starting to kind of like come back towards the middle and there will be a healthy dose of each, you know, not forgetting about analytics, but also not forgetting that everyone is an individual and not just a robot. Definitely. I mean, baseball needs to become more human. One of the reasons people don't connect with baseball is because it doesn't seem relatable. Like players don't seem relatable. You know, the NBA is great about putting out content that connects players with fans and MLB is not able to do that. If they did things like mar- like miking up the players when they were playing, like fans love stuff like that because it makes the players seem human. But because baseball is so deep into analytics and, you know, deep stats, people are not interested, you know, in addition to the other million problems with baseball, of course. Meanwhile, the Red Sox are, as we speak, about to announce signing your fellow Jewish baseball player, Kevin Pillar. That's right. And my teammate for three days in Toronto. That's right. All right. So give yeah. us your Kevin Pillar take from the three days. I don't know. I, didn't, I don't think that I talked to him at all. We probably said hi to each other. But yeah, that was a very weird situation. But we also did play the Red Sox in that time. Um, and um, I I remember that was like, Mookie Betts was on some like crazy no strikeout streak or something like that to start the 2017 season. I'm sorry if that's too soon um, to bring up. I was going to say, why would you bring up that name? That just hurts me. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah. You know, the Dodger Um, Mookie Betts, you know what I'm talking about, right? (laughs) That's so mean. I mean, they need Pilar because otherwise the entire outfield is lefties. They can't have, mm-hmm. I mean, Verdugo's a lefty. Like, you can't have an entire outfield of lefties. The whole lineup will be t- so uneven. And also, I mean, he used to be, like, when he went with the Blue Jays, he was incredible. Like, especially, like, 2015, 16, 17. Like, oh, yeah. He was great. And, you know, he wasn't bad last year. Like, 88 RBIs, 259 batting average, 21 home runs. That's not bad. Like he's that's for your age 30 season between two teams or barely two teams. He only played like what five games for the Blue Jays before he went to the Giants. But he he appeared mm-hmm. in 156 games for the Giants and stole 14 bases, like especially considering the scouting reports on Verdugo where they likened him to Jacoby Ellsbury when he's healthy. That's not a name that's going to inspire confidence in the Red Sox. Red Sox fans hate Jacoby Ellsbury, but Verdugo is mm-hmm. not like a big base dealer. Pilar is and he's older. Like you can't have you know, just one 23-year-old out there manning Mookie's position in right field because the second he doesn't perform to Mookie standards, which, like, it would be humanly impossible for him to meet Mookie Betts' standards, Red Sox fans are going to turn on him. You know, they're going to get out the pitchforks and just go total Beauty and the Beast angry mob on him. So Pilar Mm -hmm. would be great. I mean, he's probably, like, a super affordable get. I don't know why they still haven't signed Brock Holt. Like, they they really hate us. (laughs) For sure. And with the, with Pilar too, like he's familiar with the AL East already. And coming from San Francisco like last year, like that's a tough place to hit. That's a tough division to hit in. That's a tough place to play outfield in San Francisco. Like that's, I mean, that's got to be the trickiest outfield in the entire league, I would imagine. So there, I mean, there's a lot of 
pluses to bringing Pilar in. Like he's he's gonna play good outfield. He's he's gonna hit, and I mean as a righty and at Fenway too. Like you've got to you've got to like hitting there. Yeah, I mean I think I don't remember if you, yeah you and I were talking about this. You and I were talking about this. This is the last thing we can talk about. We can bring it back to last Friday. You and I were talking about how MLB suddenly has zero value for like thirty plus year old players now. And you know what? Mm-hmm. Like the veteran presence in a clubhouse is important. And with Pedroia probably not being around for a large chunk of the season, Mookie being gone, like I know he's only 27, but he's been with the team for years already. So like veteran presence, David Price gone, Porcello's gone. You know, they don't really actually have a lot of veteran guys in the clubhouse right now. Yeah. Pilar has been playing since 2013 and he's been in the he was in the aside from most of last season, he's spent his entire career in the AL East. So I think that this would be an excellent get for them. And I'm sure it's not going to be very expensive. And, you know, people have been really hard on Chaim Bloom about how they think he handled the Mookie trade over the last week. And I personally am not thrilled about the whole thing or how they went about announcing it and publicizing it over the last 24 hours. But I will say that I think if he had the Pilar idea in his back pocket while he was trading for Verdugo, it's an excellent move to kind of have a platoon out there because between the two of them, I feel like they can kind of finagle a successful right field situation. For sure. And he's more of an everyday player. Definitely. Yeah. Like, and yeah, like you're saying, I mean, it's nice to have that veteran presence too. And it's nice to, to bring a guy in that, like you said, is going to be like familiar with the division and obviously familiar with the big leagues and like what, what goes into that. So sort of being a platoon mate with a young guy and, you know, showing him the ropes in, in a lot of ways is something that really matters. You know, you said at the beginning of the show that um, you were hopefully going to cheer me up. And I have to say, I mean, partially it's you, partially it's Kevin Pillar, but like combined, like the Jewish baseball players are really turning my mood around right now because for the first time in like a month and a half, actually since pretty much the beginning of last season, because last season was terrible, I am excited about something with the Red Sox. Yes, there you go. He's going to save the organization. Um, you heard it here first. Red Sox World Series this year. Pilar, MVP of the World Series. How about that? Okay, no, you, no, you need to, no, you need to calm down. That's too much. Calm down. <laughs> well, um, we'll see what happens. It's something to be excited about. Yeah, I mean, bare minimum. I'm just like, I'm actually not totally miserable. So you know. We'll start. We'll take what we can get to start. So, guys, you can follow Ty on Twitter. He is Ty Kelly Eleven. That's T Y K E L L Y one one. You can follow me on Twitter, GF Star One, and that's Star with two R's. Or follow Locked On Red Sox at L O underscore Red Sox. There's a new article on Girl at the Game today about the Mets situation that Ty and I just talked about. If you haven't gotten enough of it from this conversation. And we'll see you tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning into Ty Tuesdays on Locked on Red Sox. Thank you, Ty. And I'll see you guys tomorrow.